Hey guys, this is Mike Mahaffey, the old bastard BJJ guy, here for BJJ Mental Models. Back in my day, we had to walk uphill in the snow both ways to get to the academy just to learn some crappy technique from a random purple belt. You kids have it so easy, because now you can just subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium and get tons of great audio courses to learn new techniques, enhance your mindset, and entertain yourself. You can even get personalized rolling reviews from some of your favorite BJJ Mental Models coaches, including me. It's like having your own seminar, you spoiled little whippersnappers. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium right now, get off my lawn, and go train. Hey, welcome to BJJ Mental Models, episode 84. I'm Steve Kwan. I'm Matt Kwan. BJJ Mental Models is your guide to a conceptual and intelligent jiu-jitsu approach. Matt, how's it going? Pretty good. How's it going, Steve? Not bad. Still dying of heat exhaustion over there? Yeah, today was a little bit better, but um, still pretty pretty fucking hot in here. <laughs> it's definitely pretty warm. <laughs> yeah, tonight in class... <laughs> I accidentally broke a girl's foot. <laughs> what happened? She was on top in the engagement phase, like deciding how she was going to enter the guard. I was in seated position and I went for a koochi, just like an, a hook with my foot against her ankle and she planted wrong and yeah, her foot broke. <laughs> Come join my gym. <laughs> so hold on a sec. Uh, a bone break or a joint break? They said there's a small break in the foot. She messaged me because she had to go to the hospital. But Oh, man. Fucking sucks. Luckily, she lives literally like two doors down from the gym. So she, it wasn't hard to get her home. And then her daughter took her to the hospital. But yeah, I feel real bad about it. Oh, that's <laughs> awful. But she assures me it's, it is what it is. You know, she's not like sore about it or anything. Well, Just, she is sore about it, at least physically. Well, she is but- sore. <laughs> She is sore, literally. Foot injuries are no fun. I have definitely experienced my fair share of those. In fact, most of the injuries I've probably had have actually been foot injuries. And yeah, the thing about foot injuries is a lot of the time you don't see them coming. They just kind of happen out of the blue. Just someone's out of position. And it's one of the things that I really learned as I got more advanced is that keeping awareness of where your body position is and also your opponents is super critical, not just to prevent UK from taking openings on you, but also to reduce chance of injury, right? You always want to be mindful of where your legs are and where your arms are and also where your opponent's legs and arms are, because if the body goes in the wrong direction, then you can wind up with a situation like that. Yeah, I wish it was just my feet that have had injuries, but it's literally every part of my body has had injuries from ribs to both my shoulders, both knees, both feet, multiple digits on each hand and foot. But and you've got that gimpy toe that won't point straight anymore. Yeah, that that's definitely one of them that's really annoying. Like, but I don't really want to take time off to get surgery because it would take forever for me to train again. Can they even fix that? I never I just never fixed it. Oh, so it actually could be fixed. I kind of assumed that was just the way your toe was going to be forever. Well, I think if I wanted to get like a ligament implanted in the toe, they could fix it, but it might not be worth it just because I can just tape it and it actually holds up just fine if I tape it to the next toe. This is a pretty terrible advertisement for jujitsu so far. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm lucky that like my neck and my back are are still pretty good. So as long as you got your neck and your back, you can still, you know, 
it's not like super nagging. Like you can kind of work around different injuries and use physio for different injuries, but neck and back, that can be bad. Yeah, those are injuries that luckily I've been able to avoid. And it's one of the reasons why earlier in your career rather than later, you need to learn not to spaz out and try to contort your body out of awkward positions because protecting your neck and protecting your back is just so critical for longevity in the sport. I agree. I recommend Barambolos all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you literally did make the instructional on Barambolo, so I I can see why you would want to. But yeah, I I have had bad Barambolo experiences, too, where I try to invert up on my neck. I actually had one situation I remember where I was sparring with a much bigger guy, uh, luckily a very experienced guy. And I went for a Barambolo and just something happened and he kind of wound up sprawling at the same time and basically sprawled on me while I was upside down on my neck. But luckily he was, he had such good awareness that he noticed the situation was totally wrong and he's able to brace himself and not put any weight down. And he probably saved my life. God. (laughs) So as a result, I try to avoid those kinds of inversions now. Yeah. I can remember one time I have, I have this really big student. He's like 260 probably. And I, I remember I was in seated guard and I tried to like come up between his legs and I, I totally was in a position where my body was folded and he was on top of my head. I was and as soon as I put myself there, I'm like, fuck, this is not a good place to be. But he did the exact same thing you described where like he realized it wasn't a good position and he like eased up off the back of my head. I was like, thank God, dude, <laughs> you're going to fuck me up so bad. You know, what's funny is it's always the big guys that are conscientious and save your life like that. Smaller guys don't care. Like <laughs> they'll just sprawl yeah. in your neck and they won't even think about it. But yeah, it's the big guys. They don't have to brace or anything. Yeah, but presumably the big guys, because they've been told their entire lives that, you know, you're, you're much bigger. You need to be careful. They have the awareness to be careful and not just straight up kill their training partner. But it's often the little guys that are more dangerous because they don't have that kind of care. Yeah, I feel bad. This time it was an injury from me being on the bottom and just using like a foot sweep technique from the seated guard to try and off balance her and trip her sort of. And yeah, it forced her to plant her foot incorrectly and something went. It was a bad choice on my part. That sounds kind of like a fluky injury though. Yeah, it was, but I think I could have been a little bit more careful, I guess. You know, it's just, there was no need to do it, I guess, really. I could have, I could have implemented a different guard, but I guess could have, should have, you know, it's, it's kind of in hindsight, right? Well, you know, the one guard that never injures your opponent is turtle. It's not a guard, man. Quit giving out misinformation. <laughs> I turtle hate is being a in the turtle. It's so vul- you're so vulnerable there. Yeah. It's funny. I got a giant uh, message from a listener. It was like a five point message asking about turtle questions. I thought it was awesome. Um, yeah, tur- turtle is a tricky. <laughs> Why one. do like- you like turtle? Question number one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think turtle is great as a like plan B and reset. I don't think it's great as a strategy where, hey, I want to go here because this is how I'm going to assert dominance. I don't think that's a wise strategy, but the reality is a lot of the time you will be forced into situations where maybe turtling is the best option. And if you are able to turtle and recover, if you get good at that, it makes it really hard for opponents to pass your guard or get a dominant spot on you. So it's a useful tool, but it's one of those positions where I, I would not suggest to people that they 
assertively go there as their plan A. That's not a smart thing to do because mechanically your options are somewhat limited, but getting good at recovering from there is actually, I think, a very underutilized part of the game. I think it's often just as important as traditional guard retention. If you can recover from turtle, it makes it very, very hard for someone to lock up a dominant position on you. Yeah, but you do intentionally put yourself there. (laughs) That's just because I'm mostly fucking around. (laughs) It's not because it's a good strategy. Let's see if this shit works. It's also because I have absolutely no cardio. So if I just turtle, I literally don't have to do anything. I don't even have to exert the calories to like sit up straight. (laughs) I can just curl up in a ball and let my opponent do all of the work. Yeah, that's like a kind of like an armadillo type position. (laughs) Yeah, it's like a turtle. It's actually (laughs) true. Just tuck up in your shell and then no one can do anything to you. Yeah, right. (laughs) Such a vulnerable position and you can't (laughs) score from there. Real good strategy. That is actually the thing. I wish you could score from Turtle, but that's actually probably the strongest argument against it. Anyway, on the topic of jujitsu, today what we wanted to talk about was this concept of the third place. It's a sociological concept that basically says that you should have three main places that you go in your life. The first place is your home. The second place is your work. And the third place is a recreational place. It's a place where you go to network, to build relationships, to have a good time. Now, for the majority of us, that third place is probably jujitsu. That's kind of our hobby. That's what we do. So for me and for, I think, a lot of our listeners, having lost access to that third place due to COVID-19 has really kind of put in perspective what that relationship with jujitsu means to your life. And for many of us too, you know, our, our second place as well, our work is either gone or it's been collapsed into our home life as well. And we're working from home, but either way, it really kind of changes the nature of our routine where the only place that we have that we can go is our home. So it's caused a lot of self-reflection for me in terms of what I want to get out of jujitsu, what it means to me. Matt, I'm wondering if, from your perspective, as someone who does jujitsu professionally, how you feel about this concept? Because for you, of course, jujitsu is both your third place and I guess your second place as well, having been your job. Yeah, it's an interesting concept. I'd never heard of the third place until you actually told me about it. But throughout my entire life, I've essentially had that third place. So, you know, I've had a job, a life at home, and then I would look to activities such as hockey or working out of the gym or jujitsu as my third place. And um, now that COVID's happened and well, not so much as COVID's happened, actually, that actually hasn't really affected me too much. I should say since I switched careers, I've realized that it's kind of funny. I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing different crossovers now. So like you mentioned, for example, my third place, which is socializing and recreation, which is jujitsu for me, is now part of my job. And also because a big part of the week is me being a stay-at-home dad, my family place is also kind of my job because I consider that basically a job because it's very demanding and it takes up a lot of my time and, and focus and whatnot. So I'm experiencing weird crossovers right now where I don't really have a third place, but it's also pretty awesome because I get to see my kids a lot and I get more free time. So it's it's nice because I can actually fill that time where I would normally be going to a job um, with other projects and interests and trying to build different skills because 
you know, if I'm at home, yes, I'm at, I'm working as well, but I'm also at home with my family. And then when I go work out, I'm, I'm not only doing a recreational social thing, I'm also working. So it's, it is interesting. And, but I, I definitely agree that you, you need to have your time dedicated to work, whatever brings in income. You need to have your time for your family. And then you also kind of need time for yourself as well and and for your you know your social life mm-hmm. well let me read off to you part of the wikipedia page here on this concept and just to kind of tie it all back this concept was originally coined by a sociologist named ray oldenburg and his argument was that third places are important for civil society for democracy they're just a core key of building a solid community and Over the years, other scholars have put together this definition of what a third place is, and it boils down to eight characteristics. And you tell me if this sounds like jujitsu to you, because it kind of does to me. So number one, a third place is neutral ground, meaning that the occupants of third places, they don't have an obligation to be there. They go there not because they have to, but because they want to. Yeah. Number two, it's a leveler, meaning that there is no importance in a third place on your status in society. For example, it is completely leveling the playing field so that the traditional hierarchies that we live in on the day to day, they're not relevant in the third place. I don't know if I agree with that. You think so? Well, I think naturally in jujitsu, like everyone is equal on the mats, but there is a hierarchy in terms of rank and experience and leadership. And same if you're going to, you know, if you're in par- a part of certain clubs, I don't think that there would not be natural hierarchies that just establish themselves organically. So to be clear, it's not necessarily saying that the third place doesn't have a hierarchy of its own, which it may. What it's saying is that the hierarchy that you experience in the rest of society is generally not applicable within that third place. Okay. So for example, you might be a multimillionaire, but when you go to jujitsu, you know, you're just as important as the bricklayer, right? Like it make it makes no difference. So there might be a hierarchy within that third place, but it doesn't necessarily have to be the same as the hierarchy outside and basically what you deal with in the real world. That's fair. Cool. Yeah. So the third thing, and this is where I think it's a little bit different. Conversation is the main activity. Playful and happy conversation is the main focus of activity in third places, although it is not required to be the only activity. So that's an interesting one because of course in jujitsu, the main activity is jujitsu. <laughs> but I would say that the conversation is a super important part of it for me at least. And I think a lot of other people, jujitsu is basically a social club. So the thought of jujitsu without that conversation would be very, very awkward. So to some extent, I agree that conversation is one of the main activities of jujitsu. Definitely. You always hear people that have done jujitsu for, you know, a number of years they don't just talk about how awesome of a workout it is or, you know, the self-defense aspect or, or the spiritual aspect. They also talk about the friends you make and the camaraderie. If your gym has really good chemistry and everyone gets along and shares ideas and, you know, at times makes fun of each other, then it's it's a really enjoyable place to be. So I think that that is one of the things that makes jujitsu so special is because you do actually make friends with these people that you're grappling. Something about doing martial arts with someone, I mean, real martial arts where you're you're literally like, you know, wrestling, trying to fight each other to some degree, not just like patterns and forms, but like actual sparring. Something about that experience with somebody, I don't know what it is. It, it sort of brings you closer together. You gain a better respect for each other. You learn more about each other on a different level than just talking. 
Yeah. The the friendships you make in jujitsu are real special. I realized after I, right after I finished high school, pretty quickly after that, I started doing jujitsu. And I realized that all the friends that I had in high school were starting to fade away. And most of the friends that I was making were now all in jujitsu. And even now it's like, you know, I have a few really good friends from high school, but the majority of the people that I know and that I'm real friends with, I see mostly at jujitsu now. You know, I, a lot of the time, you know, and this is true for people who have careers where it, it wouldn't be uncommon for you to actually see people that you work with more than your actual family. And a lot of the time that happens at jujitsu as well. Although I'm lucky enough, I'm a stay at home dad. I don't, I don't really have that, but I think for a lot of people that could be, uh, you know, it could be the case. You know, that's a really awesome point, which is that a lot of the friendships that we have are friendships of circumstance. And you brought up high school as a great example. I mean, I graduated from high school almost 20 years ago at this point. <laughs> How does that feel to say? <laughs> I'm not far behind you either. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's crazy. I have been out of high school longer than my entire life up to the point I graduated from high school. It's definitely interesting watching the world move by. You're still playing Final Fantasy VII. <laughs> <laughs> that is one of the consistent things. But the thing that's interesting about high school is I don't really still have a single friend from my high school days. Like I haven't really kept in touch with any of those people. And from university, there's maybe two people that I still keep in touch with from my university days. And it really makes you wonder and realize that a lot of these friends that you have, they're not friends because you necessarily want to be around them. They're friends because you're kind of stuck in the same situation as them, whether it be school or work. And as soon as that situation changes, suddenly you have no interest in being around that person anymore, right? It's, yep. <laughs> it's not that these people are not your friends. They're definitely your friends, but it's not a long lasting friendship. It's a friendship of circumstance. And one of the interesting things about jujitsu is that, or really any friendship you make in your third place, these are not friendships of circumstance. These are friendships that can last a lifetime. And I think part of that is because you're bound by an activity that you want to go do, mm -hmm. right? It's not like, you know, hey, when I quit this job, I'm going to lose contact with all of you people. So it's really made me think about the kinds of relationships that I've made in jujitsu, because these are friends I've had for a long time. And I think it's because I'm friends with these people because I want to be there and it changes the dynamic of the friendship. It's not a friendship of circumstance. And as a result, I think that's why you wind up having much more long lasting friendships with people that you meet at jujitsu. And presumably that would be the same with friends that you meet at any third place. Yeah. And also, I think to some degree, a lot of like minded people sort of meet at jujitsu. They may not agree on everything, but they're all kind of crazy and <laughs> they all like to choke each other out and get choked out. And they, you know, they, they respect the, uh, you know, risk and reward concepts. They, the immediate feedback, the real feedback that you get from jujitsu, the harsh reality of, of fucking up and then getting choked out a second later, everyone in jujitsu kind of recognizes that and respects that. So to some degree, I find people are on the same page when they go to jiu-jitsu. And what you mentioned, I think it was your first point when you were discussing the third place, 
is how everyone's choosing to be there. And that's a huge aspect of it because, you know, if you're friends with, if you're mostly friends with people that you work with, that could be circumstantial. Like, well, you're only really see, you're only really friends with them because you go to work every day and you see them. But that doesn't mean that you wouldn't quit your job in a second if you could, (laughs) you know, if you could, if you could quit your job and, and do your dream job or, not work at all, you know, in a second. And as a result, you're not going to see these people anymore. It's like, oh, you might even, you might take someone up on that. <laughs> it's like, is that, is that friendship really an organic friendship or is it, is it just a friendship because you have to go there every day to earn a living? Well, it's a friendship of circumstance. It's not that it's a fake friendship. You really are friends with these people, but it's a friendship that's bound by the circumstance. And as soon as that circumstance isn't there, you don't really have a reason to still be friends with that person anymore. And I think that that's very different from the kind of friendships that you make if you build those friendships by both being in a place that you want to be. Yeah. So what's your third place? Well, my third place is jujitsu. At least it was <laughs> until a few weeks ago. Now I don't even really have a second place. I'm just at home all the time. Um, but I, I would say that as a as kind of a stopgap, my third place has been the park since this is this uh, pandemic thing has happened. Um, you know, it's one of the only places I can go. The the challenge is you don't really get to see or talk to many people at the park. But you know what I've actually started doing, and. I didn't do this intentionally, but now after having this conversation, I'm wondering if maybe it ties into the psychology of the third place. And that is that I take a lot of phone calls while I'm walking through the park. So at some point during the day, I make a point of going out for a walk for about an hour and I use that opportunity to make phone calls. And I wonder if I've kind of inadvertently turned that into my new third place until I'm back at jujitsu. It's funny how you like naturally have a yearning for whatever reason. Is it just you need a change of scenery to get out of the house and and be in a different environment or is I it think it is that you're yearning to to be around other people or could it be a mixture of different reasons why that third place is so important i kind of feel like maybe your routine gets very very much baked into your surroundings so we take a lot of cues from routine we build these routines about our home life and our work life and in order to really relax, I wonder if maybe you actually need to pull yourself out of those environments. Because I have found that, you know, having spent so much time at home for the past few months, when I get the opportunity to go out and go somewhere else, it's a lot more meaningful. Like, for example, I mean, our, our folks own a cabin, right? And they they let me use it. So we took a week to go up there. And that was really the first time we'd been away from the home for a long, long time. And it was wonderful, not just because it was nice to be away, but because it was nice to get that change of scenery and kind of reboot your surroundings. And I, I was actually kind of surprised at how meaningful that was <laughs> to just be able to extract myself from my house. Yeah, it's kind of like um, if anyone there listening has ever competed or had to make weight or intermittent fasted before. It's, you know, when when you're intermittent fasting, you really appreciate your meals. For me, when I'm intermittent fasting, it, you know, I don't avoid any foods. Like usually, you know, when I eat like a complete idiot, which is most of the time, I take food for granted. And a lot of the time I will maybe choose unhealthier foods over, uh, you know, healthy foods. But when you're intermittent fasting, it's like you appreciate everything, no matter how healthy it is. It's like, it's awesome because you're waiting. You, now you're waiting and you're kind of putting, you're kind of putting stress on your system by not being able to eat. And so your body starts yearning for different food. And it's like, when you finally get it, it's like, oh my God, thank you so much. It could have the same effect 
uh, with the third place. And I, and, you know, I was talking about, I think I talked about camping, uh, you know, a week ago and just saying, yeah, well, when you're camping, you just, you're never clean, which sucks when you're at home. Like generally you're, you're, you're pretty reasonably clean when you're camping is just, you always smell smoky and funky. And, um, if you, if you want hot water, it's like, well, you got to boil it. And if you need water, you got to go to the tap down the campsite road to go fill it up. And you got to go to someplace to have a shower. And it's just like, you really, after a while you start to realize like, wow, like I'm, I take a lot of shit for granted, (laughs) you know, and it's like weird not having those staples. Yeah. It's almost kind of like a mental reboot when you take yourself out of your context. It's been very interesting to kind of learn how much that matters because we've all been trapped at home. And actually, it kind of makes you realize that a lot of things like depression, for example, I would speculate are probably tied to your surroundings and how much you're able to kind of get out of the house, how much you're able to establish a routine. Like I can imagine that if I were just locked in this house all day, I'd be pretty depressed because frankly, I have been over the past few months, right? Yeah. It's, it's a challenge. And I, I kind of wonder like how important that third place is for your mental state, just because you actually need that change of scenery. Yeah. And and I think most people will agree if you've been quarantining or, you know, you can't work or you can't go and do anything recreational. Most people that are listening probably have experienced some kind of mental depression. Um, You know, I've experienced some stuff lately, just literally because I, when I closed the gym, like I couldn't, well, first of all, I couldn't really go and exert the energy and get the aggression out and fight, which is something that I've really come to enjoy being in a room where I'm, I'm kind of teaching people. I don't know if it's my ego or what it is, or if it's just something I really love to do. Like, I I feel much more comfortable when I have the routine of leading people and sort of passing on instruction. I don't know what it is. I have like a craving for it. And when I took, when, when we closed down and I took that away, I almost felt like, God damn, this is meaningless. Like what the, you know, like I really just want to like go over something. I really want to go over a technique or I really want to have a hard role. And it does mentally start to break you down because you get really unmotivated and you, you know, you start to question things and then all this pent up energy and aggression just has no outlet. Yeah. For me, I think the challenge has been that when I'm at home, I have all of these obligations. And when I'm at work, I have all of these obligations. And when I'm at jujitsu, I have no obligations. It's really the only time I've got where People aren't expecting things from me and I don't have to get stuff done. You know, I can just be in the moment and have fun. And the challenge I found losing that third place is now I'm only ever at home or at work, which for me is also at home. So it means my entire waking life is people asking me to do stuff. (laughs) I, I didn't realize how important it is to just have like an hour a day where you don't have that, where no one is nagging at you, where you don't have deliverables, you know, you can just sit there and just do something that is, you know, I I don't want to say mindless because this is a concept podcast about jujitsu, but when you are on the mat and you're training, you're very present and you're not really necessarily thinking about all of the things you need to get done. And it's nice to have that. And losing that for me has been a real challenge. Yeah. Well, you could just go back. Well, you know what? I'm actually going to wait this out. I've decided because for me, I don't have to go back. It's a hobby. Everything else I'm doing, I'm totally social distancing. My job doesn't require me to go back. So really for me, the only thing I do 
that would require me to actually break protocol is jujitsu. And I can make that sacrifice. Like for me, it doesn't impact my income. So we're kind of just pivoting and we're trying to figure out what to do for hobbies anyway. It's a tricky thing because I don't know if there's a good point at which it's going to be like, okay to go back. But yeah, I definitely miss having that like third place in my life where I can kind of get out and just do other stuff. Anyway, uh, another item. So item number four on this definition is accessibility and accommodation. The third place must be open and readily accessible to those who occupy them. They must also be accommodating, meaning they provide for the wants of their inhabitants and all occupants feel their needs have been fulfilled. So I think that does describe jujitsu quite well. You know, everyone goes there because they're getting something out of it, whether it be physical or emotional fulfillment. And you always hear people talk about how much they got out of jujitsu. And I think that's part of the reason why jujitsu is so popular is because every club wants to give their students more than just self-defense training. They want to actually make you feel like you're part of this community and you're you're learning a lot, not just about jujitsu, but also about your body and to some extent about life. Yeah. And, and I think um, it's one of the reasons why I, I like video games, but I'm not like obsessed with video games. Like I think a lot of people that game for hours a day, to some degree, video games are their third place yet they're still at home and there are rare people that make money off of gaming, but it's a very small number. Uh, for the most part, I, I tend to look at it as gaining false achievements. You know, like when I, when I play a video game, a lot of the time I'm just trying to kill time. Essentially. It's not like I'm, you know, even if I get like a super high score or, or whatever, it's like, this is not really even a, an achievement. It's not really an accomplishment. It's, it's, it's false. It's, you know, it's literally just to, to waste time and have fun. But I think that for a lot of people, video games have become sort of their third place because there's a community and you can play with friends and, you know, it, it is fun. But are you getting any real skills out of it aside from, you know, getting good at Call of Duty or whatever? It's like at least a jujitsu, you know, mentally you benefit from that. You learn how to defend yourself. You burn calories. You know, you're making friends human contact, things like that. So that's kind of why I, as much as I can enjoy a video game, there's no way that I could dedicate more than two hours a week, I would say, doing that. And that would be more than I've done in the last few months. So I love video games. And what you brought up is actually an interesting question, which is, can your third place be virtual? Can you have a third place that is not actually a real physical place? And I think you probably can. But like we were talking about earlier, I think there's something to be said about actually physically extracting yourself from where you are and having a third place that's somewhere different. Now, that doesn't mean you can't have a virtual third place, but I do also see your point about video games being a false sense of achievement. That said, though, I would say that when you're playing video games, probably you're not necessarily looking for achievement. You're kind of looking for, you know, immersion or to get your mind off of things. And I think that still has value, even if you don't actually get anything in terms of real world accomplishments out of it. I think it's still valuable to take your mind off of things and have recreational time. I mean, you could just as easily argue that like, 
reading a book is not an achievement, but I think there's still a lot of value in that too as well. So I don't want to say that it, it's without value, but it can definitely become kind of a trap. And yeah, I mean, I see your point because I've been locked in this house the whole time. Interestingly, I've barely had any time to play video games over the last while. I mean, I just recently was able to play Final Fantasy, but really because everything has been happening at home. I've actually been busier than I ever have been before. Mm -hmm. So I've had less time than I ever actually have. So for me, uh, when I play video games, I'm, I try to play the kind of games that aren't about achievement. Like I want to play the games where you could just kind of not have to deal with other people, not have to deal with the real world, just kind of go and like have like a quiet experience off in the corner for a while. And I know that's very different from what a lot of people like. Like a lot of people, they will do things like they'll play Call of Duty with your buddies, like you said, or they'll play competitive esports games. And for them, I think that very much is a a social experience. It is a, a third place. For sure. And I would go so far as to say that there's value to that. But yeah, to your point, the reason I like jujitsu is because I can get a workout and learn something at the same time. Me too. And this is one of the things I hate about going to the gym is I just find it mind numbing. I find that when you go to the gym, most of the time you're trying to come up with clever ways to distract yourself from remembering that you're at the gym. Totally. (laughs) In order to make the gym even remotely tolerable, I have to have like audiobooks on or something so I can distract myself and forget that I'm like doing cardio or doing weights. Whereas at jujitsu, you don't have that experience and you're engaged. You're learning a new skill. And to me, I think that's one of the reasons why jujitsu is such a great physical outlet is because you're not just burning calories in this mind numbing way. You're learning a physical martial art that will defend you. But in addition, above and beyond that, you're building social relationships. You're learning mental models. Like there's a lot of value that you get out of that experience. And that's actually been the challenge for me is because without jujitsu, I find it really hard to motivate myself to do other exercise because jujitsu is really the only exercise I actually enjoy. Yeah. Whenever I spend any time lifting weights, especially at first, I'm just hoping that I can get the fuck out of there as soon as possible. (laughs) But once I get like halfway into a workout or even, you know, 45 minutes, an hour into a workout, then I feel like, okay, I'm on a roll now. I'm getting that, that adrenaline and that, uh, the endorphins rushing and, and I feel like, okay, I'm accomplishing something. But at first, oh my God, lifting weights is like pretty monotonous. Like I, I, I'm not a huge weight lifter. I definitely lift more when there's tournaments to train for, but like, you know, right now when there's no tournaments at all, like it's really difficult to stay motivated. So mostly my motivation comes from, you know, my kids and then trying to help my students right now. And definitely when tournaments come on, it's like, there's that different level of motivation where it's like, okay, now I have to take my diet seriously because if I miss weight, I'm going to look like an asshole and it's going to be a wasted, you know, a wasted experience if I can't even compete. So I I can't eat late and all this stuff. I have to be disciplined and I have to lift weights and I have to go on the assault bike, you know, but right now it's all that's been kind of taken away. So I'm just kind of floating and, and, uh, you know, recently got back to training and teaching, but before that it was just like, man, I'm really missing that, like that struggle every day that we go through at jujitsu. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a challenge, but, but you can definitely, I, I definitely agree that, you know, that's one of the main reasons why I love going to jujitsu is because there's so many benefits. It's such a great way to work out and think at the same time. Whereas at the gym, like I, I feel like, you know, you're just kind of trapped in your own thoughts or you're listening to something 
and you're just lifting heavy shit. Whereas in jujitsu, it's like, okay, if I don't focus on the task at hand, I'm going to get choked out or I'm going to get, you know, squished and make and my life's going to be hell right now. So as, as uncomfortable, as unpleasant as that sounds to the average person, it's actually like something I really, really missed <laughs> during the, during the whole quarantine thing, which could be happening again. <laughs> it is actually kind of funny because what you bring up there is something that I think most people won't be able to relate to, which is that I would much rather be squished in bottom side control by some giant dude than run on a bike for 30 minutes. Like in terms of things that I am more comfortable with, <laughs> I am way more comfortable actually having my ass kicked because like you said, you're engaged at the time. It's something that requires your full attention and you can focus on and you get to learn. It's There's constant feedback as to whether what you're doing is working or not working. Whereas when you're on a bike, I mean, you're just you're just on the bike. Like, you know, you're, it's, it's one thing if you're out and about, at least you can see scenery, but if you're like in a gym, you know, man, it is just a mind numbing exercise. And it kind of becomes a question of how can you occupy your brain with something else? So you forget what you're doing. So like watching videos on your phone or listening to books or something like that. So I, I totally get where you're coming from there. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, a third place doesn't even need to be like a, a physical place. Like your third place might be running, and that might mean it could be anywhere, right? It's just, it's, it's more of an activity that is the actual third place. It's not necessarily like a room or a gym or whatever, but it could be an activity. Like you said, you go for a walk around the park. Maybe it's not the same place every time, but I think runners, they need that escape where they're, they're doing that physical exertion and they're probably not running the same route every time. So item number five is the regulars. Third places harbor a number of regulars that give the space its tone and help set the mood and characteristics of the area. Regulars to third places also attract newcomers and are there to help someone new to the space feel welcome and accommodated. And I think you would agree that is absolutely essential to the culture of jiu-jitsu. In fact, it's probably one of the things that is most unique about jiu-jitsu, which is the welcoming tone that is set by the established, more senior students. Oh yeah, for sure. And as a head instructor, yeah, I've mentioned this before, as the head instructor, it's 100% your responsibility to make sure that that culture is sort of nourished and fostered from the beginning. So when I see like a new person coming into the school, you know, my immediate reaction is to greet them and to try and make them feel welcome. And then to also like showcase, of course, what's going on around them because they're, they're you know, they're going to be terrified seeing these people fighting or whatever. But it's really important that people know, OK, there's a new person in the room. Like, let's just do what we do every day, which is be good people, be welcoming, not judge. Like we mentioned before, we're all equal in jujitsu, even if someone's rich and someone's, you know, like a bricklayer, as you say, everyone come from the same place in jujitsu. Everyone is worth the same amount. So you know, having that open, open, welcoming environment, I'll tell you as a, as a gym owner, it is, it is huge. And like you said before, having patrons at the business and regulars there, that's a huge seller. When someone walks in and the, and the room is, is, you know, there's a lot of people in it. They're like, Oh, well, if there's this many people here, then it must be a good place to train. But when I, I remember when I first started my gym, it's like people would walk in and it'd be like me and two other people. And they'd be like, Oh, where is everyone, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's when you're starting anything new like that, you almost kind of need to seed the field, right? <laughs> you need to plant a few people so that you can demonstrate, see, I'm not a, I'm not a repulsive person. There's people who want to be here. <laughs> yeah, totally. So the sixth item is a low profile. 
Third places are characteristically wholesome. The inside of a third place is without extravagance or grandiosity and has a homely feel. Third places are never snobby or pretentious and are accepting of all types of individuals from several different walks of life. And yeah, that I think is definitely the case with jujitsu. There are very few jujitsu gyms out there that are beautiful to look at. Most of them are very utilitarian. They're very, very humble and down to earth. They're not about pomp and circumstance. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) most gyms that I've been to are not really super easy on the eyes. There's a few that like, you know, I think the one that immediately comes to mind would be like Art of Jiu-Jitsu. It's it's basically it looks like an art gallery and very appealing. And Mendez brothers are incredible. So people train there, but I feel like they're not training there because it looks nice. They're training there because they're training with the Mendez brothers. So I think as long as your gym is clean and functional and clearly the head instructor puts money back into it to try and make things as good as they can and doesn't neglect cleaning things or upgrading things, then, you know, you're going to have a place that you want to go to. But on a whole, jujitsu gyms generally aren't, like you said, beautiful. Well, I think that what we're seeing here is maybe that's not a bad thing, right? They don't have to be glamorous to be an effective third place. I mean, you Like think of like the bar from Cheers, right? That is (laughs) clearly a fictional third place, but it's not beautiful either, right? And it sounds like what they're saying here in this article is that a third place by definition doesn't have to be beautiful because it's not all about looks. It's about bringing people together. Right. I guess beauty is in the eye of the beholder, right? Like maybe maybe your gym is beautiful to you because it's uh, you see a bunch of people coming together and training hard and shaking hands after aesthetically speaking like if if a home home designer came in they might not think it's beautiful but somebody who just loves jujitsu and loves working hard or whatever might see those mats and say that it is beautiful so who knows either way it doesn't have to be beautiful it's to be fair there's not a lot you can do with a renovated garage (laughs) (laughs) that's true All right. So the seventh item here is the mood is playful. The tone of conversation in third places is never marked with tension or hostility. Instead, third places have a playful nature where witty conversation and frivolous banter are not only common, but highly valued. This must be before 2020. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I thought this point was especially salient because keeping it playful is a very, very common phrase in jujitsu. In fact, it's a mental model that we list in our database. So I thought it was very, very coincidental that I looked at this and they're using the same terminology that we use so often when we talk about conduct on the mats. Yeah, true. Uh, and that that really does foster, I think, the most enjoyable training environment. And also keeping things playful all the time isn't going to crank out the most competitive athletes, but it is going to make a very enjoyable atmosphere. Probably the best comparative example I could give is like some of those like old school judo schools you go to where those guys are like, they're there to fight, right? They don't necessarily even like each other. They treat it like really, really hardcore training. And maybe that works, but that maybe isn't really the best way to build a third place. I would also say that even if you are a competitive gym, you still have that dynamic of keeping it playful. I mean, we're not necessarily talking about the way that you roll. We're talking about the mood of the place, right? Uh If you go to like a super competitive gym, the competitors there, they don't hate their training partners. They're friends with their training partners. They might roll intensely, but the mood is playful, which is what they're saying here. Yeah. And I guess the great thing about jujitsu is that it's kind of middle of the road on the spectrum of really traditional martial arts and new age martial arts. Like, I think it's actually probably closer to the new age martial arts 
side of the spectrum where it's not as stuffy and it's it's not as serious as like if you've ever gone to a judo class it's like you know there's seiza you bow down on your knees and you there's like a little prayer and then after class they do the same thing and it's very formal whereas in jiu-jitsu a lot of the time it, it can it can vary some gyms try and keep it formal bowing in and off the mats and only calling the instructor professor and things like that and then there's other gyms like in my gym we don't bow on we don't bow off it's way more relaxed and I think a lot of people like it. And I think also other people do like gyms that have those old school sort of traditions and, and the, there's that formal feel. But even even in those gyms where things are more formal, that doesn't mean you can't have fun and, and joke around because I think that is ultimately it creates an environment where for me, at least information becomes easier to absorb and retain. I think an environment where that is friendly and like you said, light that that's going to be the best environment to to kind of create growth. Yeah, definitely. And that's an interesting point you bring up, which is that in a lot of these super disciplined martial arts, the training environment is still very playful. Yes, they have all of this protocol that they follow, but at the end of the day, it's still a very fun, almost like festive environment, right? And for some people, they get a lot of value out of having all of those rules and regulations in place, and they find it very helpful. I mean, not everyone does, but one of the commonalities behind good clubs is people like to be there, right? It's not about suffering. Yeah. (laughs) And I think that's important because like you said, I find it's a lot easier to build Build a culture of information exchange if people are comfortable talking with each other and comfortable being open and they like being there. If mm-hmm. the place is kind of miserable to be at, then it becomes very, very hard to teach and very hard to have a two-way dialogue with your students. Yeah. And definitely for someone who's trying to grow a business, like a new gym owner or something, if you if your business is not a place that people literally want to be at, I mean, good luck to you. Even even you could be the best instructor have the best jujitsu. If if it's a shitty place to go to, the, the average person is not going to go. Kids are not going to go. It has to be fun. It has to be a place where everybody knows your name as as cheers goes. It can't, it can't just be like a fucking a place that is not enjoyable because maybe maybe it's a place that's not enjoyable, but there's the best training. Well, then you're only going to attract the hardcores, right? You're not going to you're not going to be making a lot of money with that business model. And it has to be friendly for everyone. And even if you do have an awesome competitive training environment, the reality is if your people find another awesome competitive training environment where people are actually fun to be around, they're going to go there instead, yeah. right? I mean, if you look at a lot of the really, really top tier clubs that that have really, really hardcore competitors, even there, it's a fun environment where people want to be there. Yeah. There's really no reason why a gym can't be enjoyable and have good jujitsu. It literally comes down to the the atmosphere that the owner and operator brings to the table. It's really it's really up to them to set the tone. I mean, you can't just because if 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 you don't take ownership as the business owner to make your business an enjoyable place, if you're just like, well, whoever comes in the door, let's just let them govern themselves. And if someone's being a dick or someone's rolling too hard or they're hurting people, oh, I'm just going to let it go. It's like you're not taking ownership for your own business. You're not really hurting your flock. It's up to you to sort of nip it in the bud or, or you know, make adjustments that are necessary. Even if, heaven forbid, one day you got to kick someone out, like that might be a, a sacrifice that you have to do. You have to do that for the greater good of, of everyone else in the room and to keep your business, you know, 
you don't want to get a reputation as a, a gym where people are getting staph infections or it's just like everyone's trying to kill each other and people are not rolling nicely. People are not rolling playfully. It's just a death round every match. Trust me, I, I like that kind of training. And I think that that is super valuable as well if you want to reach a high level. But if they, if people are literally trying to like constantly always beat each other, I think that's also not great because it should, training should also be about give and take, especially when we're talking about learning. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. Now, this last point, I think you'll definitely relate to. So the eighth item is a home away from home. Occupants of third places will often have the same feelings of warmth, possession, and belonging as they would in their own homes. They feel a piece of themselves is rooted in the space and gain spiritual regeneration by spending time there. Hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I think my body feels degeneration when I go to jujitsu, <laughs> but my spirit definitely feels regenerated at the end of practice when I'm exhausted and about to puke. Yeah, I think that's very similar to what we talked about back at the beginning of this episode where we were talking about how going to your third place is important because it breaks out of the routine and it allows you to kind of be in the moment and just enjoy yourself. And that can be a a very important distinction between what you do at home and work where you might have a lot of obligations and duties to fulfill. And I think it is really important to actually have this place where you go to, you extract yourself from your house or from your work. Mm -hmm. And one way or another, you find a way to go to that third place. And I mean, I think that probably if you are like totally stuck at home, even within your home, you could probably come up with something. I mean, for people who work from home, the advice that you're always given is don't do your work from home where you do the rest of your home stuff. Like you need to carve aside a place in your house that is basically your work area and you need to actually go there. And even if you're still within your house, you need to treat it like it's a separate place. These people have never had to buy a house in Vancouver, clearly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Whenever I hear this advice, I assume that they're talking about like buying acreage out in the middle of nowhere because it if you're in like a west coast city it gets very very expensive to actually do this but i think it is important to the greatest extent possible to actually like segregate your first second and third places um even if they all do take place in the same facility i think it's important to have that change of scenery Mm -hmm, yeah one big characteristic of a third place is it's like when you go there you don't have to worry about business moves you don't have to worry about you know, things that are going on with your family. It's kind of that place where you escape. And even if you are worrying about those things, it's like, I think it's smart to, you know, let's say you're a business person. I'm always on my phone. And a lot of the reason is because I'm researching things, buying supplies, you know, taking transfers, doing my books, doing social media. There's tons of reasons for for a business owner to be on their phone. But it's like, when you go in there to train, like make that time for you to not be on your phone. So whatever you're going to do that you're not there to worry about things going on at home. You're not there to worry about, you know, did I sell how many, how many units did I sell? Or, you know, how many emails do I have to answer? It's like, take yourself out of those environments and just apply yourself in the moment. And that's, I think a really important thing. And especially when we're talking about like escaping to a third place is just not having those distractions that take up time and energy every other (laughs) for the other 22 hours of the day. That's a great point because I think a mistake a lot of people make is when they go to their third place, 
they bring their first and second places with them. (laughs) So it's like, yes, maybe you're physically somewhere else, but you're still on your phone doing your work. You know, you haven't really actually extracted yourself. I've recently fallen in love with turning off notifications and using the do not disturb feature on my phone. And I, I find it very, very helpful. Like I don't want my email to command my attention. I don't want a notification when I get an email. I want to control when I choose to go and check my email. So I just completely turn off my notifications Mm -hmm. there, right? If something is that important, people will call me. And even then, I like to have quiet periods where I don't take phone calls, right? I think it's very important to structure your life such that you're not always responsible for reacting to people trying to get in touch with you at any moment, Mm -hmm. regardless of where you are, because that kind of prevents you from enjoying the time that you spend in your third place. It totally does. Like, and this reminds me of uh, the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss. And it's, you know, he's talking about how if you are a business person and you have tons of emails coming at you throughout the day, you know, if you're, if you're looking at your phone every five minutes and you see an email and you immediately answer your email right away just to get it out of the way, it's like, but then you have, you know, a hundred little instances where you're always on your phone where a smarter, way to manage your time might be to have designated times during the day where you can check your phone so that you're only checking your phone when you decide to. And it is, it's a habit, man. Like constantly going to your phone and unlocking your screen in general is a habit. And it's, it it can be very difficult to, to stop, especially with things like social media is super addictive, right? So you, you have to do things like, you know, set restrictions. And for me, like I, I literally just, I took all of my social media icons off the desktop. So I don't even look at them because I was just, it would just be so easy. I just unlock my phone and it's right there. I just always use checking my social media. Now I'm just like, okay, you know what? I'm only going to check this shit when I want to. I'm only going to check it like two or three times a day. And for emails, you know, even if emails are in my, in my inbox, I'm not going to answer them until it's a certain time of the day. And it's a struggle, but it's, it's something that I think will save you time in the long run because you're just going to spend less time looking down at your phone and unlocking it, you know, throughout the whole day. Also, another power tip, don't get into the habit of responding to emails as soon as you get them. I know that it feels like it's the right thing to do that as soon as someone asks you something, you respond right away. But first of all, I like the approach that you recommended where you pick a time during the day to check your email. But also beyond that, if you respond to people's emails right away, you set an expectation that that is the nature of your relationship where other people can just come and ask you for something and you will give it to them right away immediately. And so it's almost a relationship of subservience. So I recommend that that you don't respond to messages right away because you don't want to set that expectation. Yeah, I can remember. I remember one instance where this experience sort of happened to me and I was I was in my first year of owning a, a business. And like for the gym owners out there, when you first open your business, like the first year or possibly even two years, you're just like, please, somebody come in the door. Like I really I would love to have someone just come in. And, and if someone calls you or emails you, it's like, that's a big deal. So I remember I, I was uh, after practice, I checked my phone and I'm like, oh, shit, there's a there's a call. I check my voicemail. It's like somebody inquiring about the gym, I'm like sweet, a lead. So what did I do? Foolishly, instantly called them back. And and then I call them and they're like, you know, it's like 10, right? <laughs> and I'm like, fuck, I just fucked up. And that person never came in, you know, like it wasn't a good first impression. I totally should have just waited the next day. 
but because I was so excited that I got like a lead or whatever, I'm like, yes, this could be someone come, you know, it's one step closer to me quitting my job and all this shit. But you learn from experiences like that. Like you said, you got to be patient and you, you, you can't just be responding right as things happen, you know, let it marinate a little bit. And then you can uh, you can answer. Yeah, it's not that these things aren't important. Of course, you want to get back to people, but it's about managing expectations and how you control the way that people respect your time, right? If you respond to everyone's requests immediately, you're setting the expectation that you are there to respond to their requests and that can create a snowball effect on you. And yeah, you know, it's funny you actually bring that up because I had a similar experience. So, you know, in the professional world, everybody uses LinkedIn. And one of the things that LinkedIn does is it's got this little progress bar on the top that tells you, hey, you got to fill out your profile. You got to put more information on your profile. So I remember at one point I went just totally crazy and I filled in every single thing I could. I had the most comprehensive LinkedIn profile of anyone I'd ever seen. And then I remember talking to someone a few years later and I looked at his profile and this is someone who was far more successful than me. And his profile was extremely basic. And I asked him about it and he said, yeah, I just, I didn't want to look like I was trying too hard, <laughs> right? It, it's not a good look. I mean, if, if you're in there and you're bending over backwards to make yourself look good, you know, at, at the end of the day, you're creating a relationship that shows that your time is not really worth much value, right? And I, this is something that I didn't understand when I was younger. I thought that filling in everything on the social media profile would make me look awesome. But no, all it does is it telegraphs to people that I don't understand that my time is valuable. I am undervaluing my own time, which is not a good perception to give off to people. And you're going to give off the same perception if you become subservient to the notifications on your phone. Yeah. And I, and I agree with you. And I think it's kind of just narcissistic in a way too. It's like, you know, I want to show everything about myself and I'm guilty of that too. You know, uh, now, nowadays, like I'm trying really hard to just not, not even be visible publicly. Like I want my business to be promoted, but myself, I couldn't care less if I'm making posts and stuff like that. And before, you know, when I was, I was about purple belt and I was trying to be serious about competing and like get sponsorships, get matches, things like that. Like I, I was that guy too, who I was trying to fill out all my boxes and all this stuff more information, more information. And at the end of the day, it's like, you kind of look like a fucking try hard. And it's just like, not really, like you said, it looks like you don't know how to value your own time. It's funny. I was looking at some guy who filled out his profile on belt checker and he had documented every competition match he'd ever had the date and the result. And this was like 300 matches. And I'm sitting there looking at this thinking, you entered all of that in by hand for what? Right? Like no one's going to look at this and be like, oh man, this guy competes super impressive. No, people are going to look at this. And they're going to think this guy is crazy. <laughs> why, why would you spend all of your time filling out a social media profile like that? It literally means nothing. The only reason to do it is because you erroneously think it's going to impress the person on the other side. I mean, anyway, the takeaway here, if there's one thing to take away, it is that when you go to your third place, don't bring your first and second place with you. Turn off the notifications on your phone, you know, make sure that you're enjoying the time that you actually have there because the whole point of the third place is that it is a way to have like a mental reset from the first and the second. So thinking about it, I don't really have a third place. Like is jujitsu a third place? It's, it's my job. 
So that's an interesting question, which is if you love the job that you do, is your second place also your third place? And this I don't know. You know, can it be the same thing? And do I need another third place? Like, do I need to fill that time with, I don't really have much time right now just because the kids are so demanding, but it's like, do I need that third, third place? It's a good question. I don't know. If anyone is a sociologist, write in and let us know. Maybe a third place is just in your head, like meditation. Absolutely. And I think I think that actually could be good. Yeah, I, I don't think a third place needs to be a big fancy building that you go to. And I think for that matter, it might not even need to be an actual physical place, right? It's just, I think, a place that can even be virtual that you go to pull your attention away from the first and the second. Remember Happy Gilmore's Happy Place? Not really, but why don't you tell everyone? Yeah, well, there's a midget dressed up as a cowboy on a bicycle. His grandma was making out with Shooter McGavin in kiss masks. I have no <laughs> recollection of this. You know, this is really going to date us because <laughs> I, I don't want to tell you how old that movie is because it's going to make you feel like a senior citizen. <laughs> it's like 30 years, is it not? It's got to be 30 years. I think it came out in the 90s. It's It's been a long time. But it is funny how like the one thing that stuck from that movie that everyone remembers is Shooter McGavin. <laughs> like that, that is the one thing <laughs> that entered McGavin. the pop culture and like people still talk about Shooter McGavin 30 years later. I- Dude, that guy, like I see him in movies and shows. Well, I don't really watch movies and shows anymore, but like I do see him in, in doing work these days. Every time I see him, I was like, fucking Shooter McGavin. Like that's like, it's the only thing I can see. It's like when you see Jason Alexander, it's like, well, that's George Costanza. Yeah. It's like no one knows that guy's real name, but people just say, oh, Shooter McGavin's in this one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Pretty awesome character. Not going to lie. It's the biggest douchebag pro golfer <laughs> like it's fucking hilarious i might have to watch that again i haven't watched that in ages anyway matt i think that was an awesome chat is there anything else you want to add hmm. well maybe to maybe for people who haven't even thought about something like this you know finding a third place might be exactly what you need to balance your life out and it can be difficult when you've got like you've got obligations at home you've got obligations with your business but like it is worth it to, to just carve out that time even if it means that you have to sacrifice something else man, it's valuable to like have time to yourself. And I think we all yearn for that. I think it's something that we all need for our own mental and spiritual health. So definitely think about if if you're all just work and, and well, I don't want to say like work and family, like family's a bad thing, but like all work and no play is not good. You need to have that place to escape as well. And for your partner, they also need that. So maybe it can be like a give and take thing where they cover you you know, they watch the family or whatever. You go do your thing and then you return the favor later on. I haven't seen my kid in a week. I know you miss them, but fuck, that sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> my my wife took our daughter to go see our, her mother-in-law and they wanted to just go away for a few days. And I couldn't go because I got a ton of work to do. And so they said, well, we'll just go by ourselves. And I think my mother-in-law has effectively kidnapped them and she doesn't <laughs> want to let them go. <laughs> Yeah, right. You're you're probably like Tom Cruise in Risky Business. You're just fucking cruising around the house in sunglasses. Basically. Except basically. you're not a creepy Scientologist. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, I got a question for you. Cool. So one of our listeners asks, how do you teach concept-based instruction at a gym that doesn't do concept-based instruction? Ooh. And I thought this was an interesting question. So, well, what do you mean? Do you teach it? Because if you if you teach it, then then it does have concept-based instruction. Well, I think what this person is saying is they're a student at a gym And their gym focuses on technique-based instruction or on like toughness-based instruction. And he wants to institute a culture change. How do you do that? 
Well, one thing, you know, if you if you're going to bring this up to your instructor, essentially what you're saying is, I think that you're missing something. And I think that there's this isn't the end all be all, but there's a different way that you can learn this. And you got to be careful because some people might not receive, they might not like to be told how to do something. Or if you're a blue belt and you're hearing these concepts and your instructor's a black belt, it's like, yes, everyone should have their opinion. But at the same time, it's like, you have to understand why somebody who's maybe done jujitsu for like 10, 20 years, now someone's coming up and telling them that this new method is better. You got to be careful how you approach this. So what I wouldn't do is basically do it in front of everyone. I would take them aside and just, and, and, and I wouldn't say, hey, I think you should do this. I would say, hey, what do you think about this? Like, this is something that I heard, this posture structure base. What do you think about looking at arms and legs as levers, you know, and, and then think like, also start to to think, how can you marry that? Let's assume we're talking about alignment and levers and things like that. Like, how can we apply that to things that your instructor already teaches you? So you can show that the stuff that you've learned from your instructor still has these concepts running through it. It's just, it's a, a different way to look at it and possibly a different way to organize jargon and language when you're, when you're going over instruction in class. Yeah, that's a great point. I think that, you know, although we say on the podcast many times that you need to check your ego and that your ego is a destructive force and it's going to prevent you from growing. The reality is a lot of people have egos. And once you get to be black belt and you've owned your gym and you're kind of one of the ranking guys in the class, it, unfortunately people do have egos. And just because someone should hear feedback doesn't mean that they want to hear that feedback. (laughs) One of the things I've learned as I've gotten older is that really there's not a lot of value in giving someone feedback unless they want it. (laughs) So what I think I would suggest is I like your approach, Matt, because what you're basically saying is you're not confronting the person and implying that they're doing anything wrong. Basically, you're saying, hey, I found this new tool. I would like your expert opinion on that tool, right? Which in this case would be concept-based thinking. And that's a good approach because you're not confronting them and putting them on the defensive about the limitations of their knowledge. What you're doing is you're seeking their expert advice. So you're actually validating their ego. And I really Mm -hmm. also like the idea of showing how what they do ties into this model because then that makes it a lot less foreign to them. It makes it something that feels like, oh yeah, this is not the different from what I do. And it kind of bridges the gap into a new concept. For sure. But of course, the best way, the absolute best way would be to tell them that they should listen to BJJ Mental Models, the world's top conceptual <laughs> jujitsu podcast, because then we can do that pitch for yes, you. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Definitely don't approach it like this is the new way. This is the best way. It's like, well, there's many ways to learn something like jujitsu and it's just another way. And it can, it could maybe, you know, maybe you show your instructor these concepts and say, Hey, like, what do you think of this? And maybe they're like, Oh shit, I never thought of that. That's actually really cool. You know, and you might have one of those moments where like the instructor learns from the student type moment, you know, which, which happens quite often. And I think that that's, that's sort of how I would introduce it. And definitely in private, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't raise my hand in front of the class and be like, I've been listening to this and and this is, you know, this makes a lot more sense, you know, because then you sound like a douchebag. Mm-hmm. Just go ask for their opinion and see what they say. And then and another way you can sort of sprinkle it in is when you are asking questions or if you're explaining something to one of the lower ranks, you can use the language that we use and that Rob Bernacki uses and then sort of explain what, what you mean when you say clamp, wedge, lever, 
posture structure based things like that and then if people like the the lesson and if you, if you can portray it in a good way it'll kind of naturally just stick so mm-hmm. that's what i've found and another thing to bear in mind too is that like this approach that we're talking about it's not perfect by any stretch either matt and i are learning new things every day right so there is is very likely that your instructor might actually come back with feedback about how we could improve these concepts. And by all means, if that happens, please do let us know. For sure. Awesome. Cool. Well, just to wrap this up, I mean, this show, as everyone knows, is sponsored by our patrons. Again, we can't tell you how much we appreciate that support. It's what allows us to keep the show going and provide this resource for free. As you know, we provide a bunch of other incentives to people in the paid patron tiers. Um, We've got a discord for our patrons and we've been having a lot of awesome conversations on there. In fact, uh, a lot of the ideas we get for episodes from this show come from our Patreon. And we're always trying to come up with more ways to provide value to the people who actually keep the lights on so if you do get any value out of the show then i would really appreciate it if you would consider going on to patreon and supporting us there that's patreon.com slash bjj mental models again you can go to patreon.com slash bjj mental models to support the show yeah guys we love doing this but what we love more is getting paid of course so please support us really appreciate it thank you to the patrons and again trying to find different ways to make content for you guys um you know answer questions talk in the discord chat have that that discourse with you guys and hopefully some video breakdowns coming down the pipe for you so thank you very much really appreciate it i think we should consider doing a one hour final fantasy 7 remake spoiler cast for the patrons do you think anyone would pay for that i don't know but we should just do it for fun (laughs) Actually, we should. Pretty awesome. (laughs) So other ways you can support the show, of course, you can go to bjjmentalmodels.com, which is our website. We've got a database of all of these concepts up there, as well as a way to contact us. You can go to bjjmentalmodels.com slash store, where you can pick up gi patches, t-shirts, and hoodies. You can go to bjjmentalmodels.com slash join, which is where you can get on our mailing list. We send out a newsletter once a week with more content. And of course, you can check us out on Facebook and on Instagram. Well, Matt, with that said, I think I'm going to go to my third place, which at this point in time is the couch, where I'm probably going to play a bit of Last of Us 2. Yep, I am going to go to bed, I think. (laughs) Is that your third? Maybe that's your third place. (laughs) (laughs) It's a pretty damn good third place. I'm not going to lie. Sleeping is... This is actually one thing that I have discovered during quarantine, and I'm not sure if it's good or bad, but left to my own devices, I want to spend a shocking amount of time sleeping. Yeah, it does help, especially if you're training a lot. If I don't sleep, oh my God, my body feels like shit. All right, well, I'll let you go, Matt. I'll talk to you next time, okay? All right, guys, thanks for listening. All right, thanks, take care.